Hello there, I'm Bodu Davison, and you're listening to the Nominal Tales Podcast. Thanks for joining me, the Game Master, and my table as we play a homebrew game of D&D 5e to tell stories meant to entertain, inspire, and engage our audience in their day-to-day lives. Thank you for letting us be a part of your day, and we hope that you enjoy the tales to follow. What you are listening to now is an adaptation of a previous episode we have made to recap our adventure up to our launch point. Our later episodes on this podcast will feature our live play together, so hang tight if that's what you're here for. I firmly believe this story is worth your while. And now, on to the episode. Session 11 Getaways and Ghost Stories The Diamond Dogs, now laying low after their victory in the Crimson Coliseum, have decided to continue hiding, hoping to board the Harrowed Horizon without any kind of incident whatsoever, and avoiding any more encounters with Victoria, or any other Lanfany agents for that matter. After two days, the full moon arrives, a religious holiday for the worshippers of Kamaria, known as the Eve of Lights. Brambrach III and Kethed have prepared a feast, as well as a sharing of words and prayers and gifts on behalf of Kethed. He hands out the recently commissioned scabbards he had had Brambrach III make for him, each with a small opening to fit a diamond, and one already in place, the ones that Mother Helen had given him several days prior. Mother Helen, having prepared much of the feast herself, with some aid from the other loyal worshippers that serve in her temple, decides to join them, and as the evening continues, they make their way to the rooftop for the most important part of the Eve of Lights, the opening of the Even Bloom Flower, which Brambrach III only has one of remaining. These beautiful flowers only open on the night of a full moon and are coveted for their healing properties when brewed in a special tea. After but a few moments, one of the aides of Mother Helen makes an entrance to the rooftop area. Mother Helen, please, there's a family asking for your aid. They have a sick child downstairs. Brambrach III and Kethed share a look. See, lad? No such thing as coincidences. Not with the Evadrim on your side, Brambrock says to Kethed. They bring the family inside, and much to the surprise of the group, they recognize one of the family members, a teenage girl who had waited on them in the bar several evenings ago. Sabia, whose younger brother is very sick, with shallow breathing, a terrible fever, and very nervous parents. I'm afraid this boy will not last much longer without our aid, Mother Helen whispers to Brambrock III and Kethed. Aye, right you are, milady. Brambrock returns. All right, my boy, you're up. You've brewed one of these before, I imagine. Um, no, but I have seen it done. I will do what I can, Kethed returns, and they make for the rooftop. Mother Helen's aide brings all the necessary implements for brewing this tea, and Kethed gets to work. And after but a few moments of careful cutting, steeping, and straining, the tea is ready, and the boy drinks. After mere moments, his fever subsides. His shaking from the chills fade away. His shallow breathing becomes full once more, and the fits of coughing cease. Ma-mommy? The young boy says, opening his eyes for the first time in days. Parents burst into tears, hugging their son, and the teenage waitress, Sabia, bows her head, tears streaming also down her face, and looks up at Kethed, the great orc she never expected much from, and whispers a humble, Thank you. Thank you. Kethed approaches her, kneels before her, and says, It is an honor to serve your family. In the name of the Everdream, enjoy this gift of life, and be blessed. The party then makes their way back down to the private sanctum, but not before Mardigan breaks off and goes to Mother Helen's office, looking out of a window. 
Eventually, she returns to the area and notices him staying there. The two of them share conversation. Mardigan revealing the interesting conversations he has been having with this Skialissa. Mother Helene tells him, Mardigan, it would be your choice, but know that your free will is never taken from you. Not unless you offer it willingly. It does not seem as though this being is benevolent, so I would caution you before you make any kind of lasting deal or bargain with her. My counsel to you is this. Grieve. Learn to let go of what you cannot keep. Otherwise, the memory, the revenge, the dark desire will be ever-present, and you will not know rest. Grieving is letting go of what we cannot keep. From there, the group continues to lay low, until the evening of the 21st, the day before the departure of the Herod Horizon and her crew. Fenwick decides to stay up late, studying the symbols and strange formulas that he had discovered within the office of the professor at the Golden Shore Academy, Stradtor Helmer, and makes headway on discovering what this formula might be, when suddenly, Mother Helen's aide bursts into the private sanctum. Quickly, get up! There's something going on. Something's happening in the city. I-I believe we're in danger. Please, you must leave now, per Mother Helen's orders. And aiding them in gathering all of their things, they quickly make their way up out of the private sanctum and into the hall of the Shrine of Sirah. The aide rushes out ahead of them, and they hear the scream of a young woman behind them, each of the diamond dogs turning to see another young aide of Mother Helen crumpling to the floor, a poison-covered short sword, and holding it, a darkly-dressed assassin, whose red hair seems to shine from the glowing embers behind them. She begins to approach the party when Mother Helen runs in from another corridor and screams, Leave! Leave now! and begins to mutter a divine prayer. Much to the surprise of the group, a burst of light takes place before them, a tearing in both time and space, and as the light fades, a silk-veiled angelic figure, feathered wings outstretched, arms reaching gracefully towards Mother Helen, and silked robe billowing in a windless hallway. I am the herald of the dominion of Sirah. You with vile intent flee before the judgment of the goddesses, lest ye find yourself judged and damned. Then, awaiting for the move of the assassin, the angelic being decides that judgment is the only course for this evildoer. Another burst of searing light right above the assassin, who is narrowly able to avoid the divine fire being hurled down at her from the heavens above, who then swiftly heads into another room, looking for a new angle by which to approach her quarry. Mother Helen turns one last time, looks at the stunned group, and says, Flee. This is all that I can give you in this moment. Flee and survive. The group then turns, Eros looking longfully after Mother Helen. We have to go, Mardigan says at which point they turn and run, Mother Helen and the angelic being pursuing after the assassin. And Kethed turns just in time to see six more pursuers coming from the hallway where the assassin had approached. Mardigan takes this opportunity and dumps out half of his ball bearings on the ground behind them. Three of the would-be assassins are unable to see it in the darkness and slip, giving time for the diamond dogs to get enough distance in between them and the crowd that they are lost to three of the would-be assassins following them. Then, after clever magics by Kethed, Eros, and Fenwick, the group is able to evade the last three assassins, escaping into the crowd, which has gathered in panic as many of the buildings of the city are burning, the largest one being the Lanfany HQ itself. The group makes their way towards the dock districts, noting rioting and looting in certain parts of the city as well, and they do their best to avoid the crowds. Eventually, they make it to the docks, most of which have their crew standing on the edge of their decks, watching the city burn. They ask around quickly, and eventually locate the Harrowed Horizon. The group climbs aboard, Brambrock III and Greg also joining them, Brambrock revealing the identity of the group, at which the captain, Captain Renegade, or Jean-Paul Leclerc, notes it's time to set sail. 
As the Diamond Dogs are introduced to some of the more important crew members of the ship, Renegade takes his time. Sundorf over there, name is Yarrick Stormrider. He's my first mate and quartermaster of the ship. If you need anything and I'm not available, you can always ask him. Oh, and the halfling behind me. Ivan, introduce yourself. Uh, sure. My name is Ivan Rose, kneecapper, and I would be the navigator of the ship. Aye, that he is, Renegade continues. The gunner, also a sun dwarf named Sewig, our carpenter, over here, the half-orc Rogmesh, our surgeon. He then turns and nods to the calico tabaxi standing near them. Name is Tad. Maven here is our boatswain, a half-elf female who greets them. And this one here, he motions to the blue-skinned woman standing beside him. Dark green eyes, whose skin seems to drip as though she had just come out of the water or was sweating profusely. Athletic and fit, both heavily tattooed and scarred in certain areas, with silvery blue hair and treated black leathers. This is Val. You'll be getting to know her quite well over the next several days. Or so I'm told, at least. Aye, my name is Val. Valerie, as it were. I'm the head of the expedition team here on the Herald Horizon. If you don't mind, we, uh, we're leaving a bit ahead of schedule and still searching for my next expedition crew. So, you're going to be making yourselves useful while you're on this ship. That's right, Renegade continues. As it were, I wish it didn't have to be the case, but it's dangerous out there on them open waters, and I need to make sure we're at our peak. And apparently, you are quite the accomplished crew based on several of my crew's recommendation per your victory in the Bronze League. Congratulations, by the way. The Diamond Dogs warily accept the new change in their current occupational status aboard the ship, but do agree nonetheless to a 50-50 split on any kind of wealth that they should find as the expedition crew during their voyage across the sea aboard the Harrowed Horizon. After all the proper arrangements have been made, the ship finally casts off, and it's off to the high seas for the Diamond Dogs aboard the large galleon vessel, the Harrowed Horizon. Maven, the boatswain, shows them to their quarters below deck, and the Diamond Dogs make their way that way. It's not too long until they hear a knock on the door, and Valerie opens it. I just wanted to warn you, I'll be waking you up in the morning for physical training, something I require of all of my expedition crew. I want to make sure that you're in the proper shape in order to avoid any kind of incidents based on what we're going to be finding on these waters. She informs them before leaving. The group does agree, in fact, the next morning, to awake and do PT with Valerie, though Fenwick is rather exhausted after having not slept well the night prior, and rushing through town, staying up far later than he should have. Before heading below deck, Eros notes an interesting figure standing on the deck opposite of him. A fully armored knight, the material of which seems to gleam in the moonlight, a dark metal, as though made of onyx, and a large sword slung to the side. Eros approaches, followed rather quickly by the rest of the Diamond Dogs, and they begin to ask questions, to all of which the knight is silent, simply looking at the speaker, and then back out over the ocean. Recognizing they're not gaining any ground with this fully armored individual, they make way for their quarters, before eventually heading down to supper, where the sailors are drinking, enjoying games of cards and dice, telling old stories of glory on the high seas, when eventually it grows quiet, and Captain Renegade walks into the room. I just thought I should warn you, Renegade says, as he looks specifically at the Diamond Dogs, now the rest of the crew shifting their eyes to them, and then back to the captain. Commoners have always needed to travel by sea, and many have been lost at sea, but none so lovely, sad, and terrifying as the salt tide siren. Many of the sailors seem to shrink back into their chairs. Some grow visibly nervous, others seem to smile and smirk. Sailors' ghost stories, as it were. She was a beautiful maiden, beloved and sought by all, but she was uninterested, for it was she herself who loved a young sailor and wanted to marry him. He had to leave her before they could be wed to raise corn for their life together. Desperate for him, she set sail after him, beseeching the gods and even the birds around her for hints and clues as to where he was. She would speak to the birds daily, 
seeking the gull's aid, and one day believed she was about to find him. But that evening, her ship sank before she could do so. It is said that her love for him was so fierce that her spirit still sought him long after her body had decayed. She approached vessels and looked for her sailor lover, hoping that they would finally be reunited. And after decades, even centuries of looking, she grew hateful of the mortals that were not her sailor boy. Now she seeks to prey on those handsome young men who are not her true love. So the warning is thus, his eyes narrow and focus in specifically on the diamond dogs. Don't ever go looking over the edge of the boat, for if you see her face in the water staring back up at you, you could be next. If you do, beware the birds. If you hear them calling, even saying your name and no one else can hear, it's rumored that that night she'll find a way to lure her to the deck, grab you, and pull you to the bottom of the sea, to her lair in the depths. You have been warned, he says, as he turns and leaves the crowded room. The Diamond Dogs make their way back to their quarters and awake for another morning of PT, but Fenwick this time is not going to join in. He says that enough is enough, and Valerie, disheveled at this fact, desires for him to join anyway, but eventually gives in and allows him an opportunity to catch up on his rest. Later on that day, the whistles blow from the top of the deck, and the Diamond Dogs make for the deck itself. As they emerge, they note the terrible fog that is now rolling in, and Valerie, who seems to be on edge, ready for anything. And it is then, as the ship sails into this dense fog, that each and every one of them begin to hear it. A faint, melodic, beautifully ominous singing in the distance. cannot thank you enough for tuning into this episode of The Nominal Tales. If you liked this episode, please leave us a rating and a review. Five stars helps in more ways than you know. And share this podcast with your friends and family. We will be back soon with more story to tell. And remember that adventure is calling. Make sure you're listening. <laughs>